0: Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, the fall will be here before you know it, and the temperatures will start to drop and get a little bit cooler. So swing on by Leon Tailoring to get you something warm that will not burn a hole in your pocket. Maybe it's a nice little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a heavier blouse or skirt, or no matter what it is, maybe a nice sweater. No matter what it is, you can get it at Leon Tailoring. You can get it ready made, or custom made, or tailor made. Just go on in, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll be happy to do it as well. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, in downtown Indianapolis. Well, lots of things going on in the world of Indiana politics. And joining us on the news line is the former head of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University. We now he's got some fancy out of Professor Emeritus, our good friend uh, Andy Downs. Andy, my friend, how's it going? I'm doing
1: all right. It's the Emeritus part that makes it sound fancy.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, my friend, how would you rate uh, the, the world of Indiana politics these days? Oh, how would I rate it?
1: You know, I'm no longer a professor, so I don't I don't give out grades any longer. But I will say this. I will say this. It seems to be relatively standard. The number of bills that have been introduced about normal uh, for in a long session, the things that have been discussed so far, kind of the usual. We've seen a couple of things that I think are going to get mildly controversial, although not yet seen that way. For example, the elimination of township assessors, the few remaining township assessors there are. Uh, But in the end, the budget's going to drive the whole thing. And we'll get to talk about things we've talked about before, like making school board elections partisan.
0: (laughs) Well, my friend, well, let's start. uh, Let's start with that one, uh, making school board elections partisan, because obviously there was a big consternation over the last couple of years with the pandemic and school boards and virtual meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was the argument that school boards need to be partisan because that way people will know whether someone's a Republican or a Democrat, and that'll give them an idea of, of what their politics are, I argue it really doesn't mean anything, If you particularly if you're in a county that's all Republican or all Democrat.
1: You know, when you look at the, the research on nonpartisan races, what you quite often see is lower voter turnout, and that's because the voters actually do use the party labels as, as a, an indicator. Now, that doesn't mean that it's perfect, and when you're talking about local issues, party labels mean less and less, but when it comes to school stuff, what really is the Republican or Democratic way to describe a number of things? Yes, we can talk easily about textbook adoption and whether something's going to be taught or not taught in a classroom. And those things sort of lend themselves to an easy description as partisan. Uh, but beyond that, in other words, take away the last couple of years and see what you get. Uh, now, some people will say, hey, great, this means we'll have higher turnout because there will be, you know, the party labels will help. But at the same time, in those communities that are already, you know, red or blue, it's not going to do a darn thing because it's just going to be a list of the same people running. They just will have a a letter next to their name that's not an I or a nonpartisan.
0: And speaking of uh, the school districts and school boards, obviously, uh, property taxes are going to be a big deal uh, this session, although I'm not quite sure how much lawmakers will be able to do. Uh, this session in particular, because the, the Department of Local Government Finance has to do all its math, you know, get the rates out and the whole nine yards, but we're expecting uh, increases anywhere, my friend, from like 8 to 12%. Uh, what impact do you think this is going to have on the legislature?
1: You know, I think they've, on the one hand, complicated their own existence by saying, let's talk about getting rid of income tax. Uh, so they've really said, "Let's let's put all of the issues on the table, which makes it incredibly complex because now – You know, do you really want to eliminate a tax when you know there's going to have to be an increase in tax elsewhere in order to cover at least some of that money? If you already know there's going to be an increase in a tax because of inflation, et cetera, do you really want to be the person or the party who backs that? So it will be – I'll be fascinated to see where they go with this, but there's one thing to keep in mind. If they had simply said let's talk about eliminating the income tax and had not even thought about – uh, of serious discussion of all the other taxes sales taxes and uh, uh property taxes, et cetera, then that would have been a discussion that made no sense now, the upside is my understanding at this point i you know as we both know these things can change. My understanding at this point is really what they're hoping to do is set themselves up for a serious study of the issues so that in two years they could take some sort of action, whatever that action is, we don't know uh this is not something to do on a whim and this is not one of those times when they're going to you know reduce the income tax by 0.01% that they've done that that they've they've gotten what they can get out of that this needs to be about a serious serious discussion about taxes
0: our guest in the room is our good friend, Andy Downs, formerly of the Mike Downs Center for Native Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, now Professor Emeritus uh, of the Institute. So we're talking about some of the issues facing the Hoosiers, particularly from the political landscape. Uh, my friend, from that issue of property taxes, obviously the, the bills come out in May, and ironically, that's when we got a primary uh, coming up for municipal elections. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other bills come out in, uh, in October, which is just a few a few weeks before the November elections. Uh, how much of a, of a, I guess, consequences will local governments have to pay with the property tax assessments, or can folks say, you know what, hey, people, this was just market force values, this wasn't us?
1: Well, that's certainly the first thing they're going to say. This is a sign our community is doing well because the value of our property, people are wanting to come here, and that value of our property is going up. If people want to buy and the value is going up, so that, of course, will be like step number one for trying to blunt the effect of this. Another part of it, though, is actually going to be pointing out that municipal governments, which are basically the only thing on the ballot, are only one part of your tax bill. And so all the incumbents will be talking about how they've held the line on taxes, and any increase you have is either because of market forces or some other government. And so they'll point at another government. And as long as somebody has to explain all of this to people, they're losing, as we know. Explaining the complexities of of property tax system is, is astounding. I have been in rooms with community leaders and ask them how many entities tax your property and nobody can ever name all of them and so then when i start naming them off and they just look at me like holy cow i didn't realize it was that many uh it's it's complicated but i think incumbents have a way around it especially if people are in general happy with the services they have been getting
0: so let's say you're in indianapolis and you got issues with crime or roads or infrastructure uh, I see some challenges popping up uh, in May and in November, but like I said, at least, at least right Absolutely. now.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, maybe even in May. And that's the other thing to remember. Uh, when you start talking about folks who are running in a primary, they can go at issues that are a bit more narrow than what the general population is interested in. So if somebody's seeking a Republican nomination and uh, Republicans on the council or a mayor's office or even a court treasurer have been more supportive of expanding government or borrowing more money or you know doing the things that are easily defined as potentially in conflict with republican values you know th- that could end up changing the outcome of elections in primaries we've seen you know Hamilton counties had these primaries for quite some time where people are having that sort of argument same thing could still happen in may but when you get to november if you get out of may and you've had to spend your time talking about how things are not being done fisc- in a fiscally responsible way. If you get to May and everybody loved what's happening in the city, well then your primary argument is sort of gone, and and it becomes easier for an incumbent to just say, "This is a guy who wants to cut the funds that are providing you with these great services."
0: My friend, what do you think about some of the bills that are out there to sort of uh, alleviate this property tax issue? I know one would like lower the assessment cap from uh, from one percent to maybe a few a few points lawyer. Others would uh, almost sort of like the old days of the property tax PTRC credits and and then the assessment issue uh, right there what do you what do you, what do you see happening this session if anything
1: yeah I'm not sure that anything will in part because as you pointed out the bills aren't out yet and the numbers aren't all crunched yet so it's a little hard for anybody to say we know the following we can speculate we can be pretty accurate in our speculation, but we don't really know the effect of anything until after the the thing has happened I do think that What will end up happening is because of the interest in eliminating the income tax, because of the reality of property taxes going up, uh, and because of a few other indicators, people are going to say we need to have a serious conversation about the breadth of taxes, not just some minor part of taxes. I that's my hope, I should say, Uh, because this is not something to mess around with. When you start, uh, you'll remember when we went to one percent, two percent, three percent, we had to amend the constitution to do it. Are we now saying we need to amend the Constitution again? I mean, is the Constitution something we're going to be opening up every you know, 15, 20 years in order to address current fiscal situation? That, I'm not sure that that's very Hoosier in its approach to things.
0: Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Downs, the Mike Downs Center for Native Politics, Purdue University, Fort Wayne, Andy, professor emeritus of the Institute. Uh, so we're always good to happy to have him uh, on the radio program. Uh, Andy, uh, another big news item uh, happened last week. Want to get your thoughts. Jim Banks, uh, with the congressman up in your neck of the woods up in Fort Wayne, uh, has decided he wants to run for the U.S. Senate. That's caused a little bit of uh, conversation with some Mitch Daniels, folks. What do you think, my friend?
1: Well, I think that Jim Banks is a uh, is a good campaigner. I think that he's somebody who doesn't make decisions on a whim, and so if he has announced he is running, he must have data that says it's a winnable race. This is not, you know, he's not going into this to lose. He's going into win. He's not positioning himself for something else. Uh, Jim, you know, started out at uh, county council level made it to the state legislature, made it to the House of Representatives. This is a trajectory he's on, and I don't think that he's somebody who wants to see that trajectory thrown out uh, because of a loss. So I start with the assumption he must have data that says it's winnable. And we do know, for example, Club for Growth already started running a television commercial that was anti-Mitch Daniels. Whether you want to say it's pro-Jim Banks or not, somewhat irrelevant because Daniels was the only name mentioned in it. Uh, there's been some polling, I'm aware of, I think it's two polls right now that came out that put Daniels in the mid-30s, if I'm remembering right, mid-30s, or uh, percentage of vote in the Republican primary. On the one hand, that's not great if it's a two-person race, but if it's a three-, four-person race, you know, 30%, 35% could be enough to win it. Uh, and given the state of Indiana right now, the person who comes out at Republican primary certainly the front runner for the November race in 24. Um, I, do, I, I do also know it's creating some cascading up here. We already have Andy Day, member of the legislature, who's saying he's going to run for bank seat. Uh, I've heard from a couple of other people who've heard rumors of people who are looking. I spoke with somebody the other day who have been contacted by uh, by uh, one of the one of the parties, not not the local party, one of the parties, to say, "Hey, would you think about running?" So this is it's viewed as a safe Republican seat. And it's going to end up being hotly contested up here.
0: Now uh, it's interesting because it's interesting. We talk about the sort of the sort of the club for growth, and and are and they're sort of you know firing a shot across the bow at Mitch Daniels. Then Mitch Daniels is basically saying, "Hey, what I can win this? I want to see if I want to do it to see if I want to be bothered with the Senate for the next six years."
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I forget who was who said it, uh, but somebody pointed out uh, the Mitch Daniels makes up his own mind. <laughs> nothing, nothing him pushes him. Nothing pushes him in a particular direction like a commercial. Uh, and once again, smart campaigner, somebody who not only has run for office and won, but also been around a lot of campaigns, uh, he's, if he decides he's running, he also has an indication that he can win it. Um, he's not going to jump in to lose that. That's just the wrong way for somebody at his stage in his career to approach this
0: race. And see, and that brings up an interesting question because, well, uh, once again, Mitch Daniels, all the things he's done, you know, uh, former budget director, ran the Senate, uh, uh, really election campaign, governor of Indiana, president of uh, Purdue University. Why why trade all that for the, to go for the U.S. Senate, uh, basically to go back to the land that traded malaria for politics?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who would be questioning his judgment at this point. But he's not somebody who's going to go away. I mean, he's somebody who will work for a very long time still. He's not a young person, but there's no reason to think he is going to disappear from public life in one way or another, whether that is in the private sector and still doing things to influence communities, or whether it's to serve in an elected office. But let's keep this in mind. As the president of Purdue, because of the lack of of tuition increases that have happened during his tenure, and a couple of the other changes, he probably has a fair number of moderates and Democrats who will be like, you know what, I'm voting for that guy because my kid went to college. For a much lower rate than I thought it was going to be, or I went to college for a lower rate than I thought it was going to be. So he, he probably has a really good base for November. The question for me is can he make it out of May? And we're in a very different environment today than we were when he ran for governor or ran for re election for that matter.
0: And see, and that, was the other, that was the other interesting question I had my friend is op. Uh, can Mitch Daniels win with the Republican Party of 2024 as opposed to 2004?
1: I, I absolutely believe that a race that has three or four people in it, he definitely can, absolutely, because what you end up with is a fracturing of the vote, and more likely that fracturing will happen on the right as opposed to the closer to the center. It is, is my guess based on what we've seen in other races. Uh, so if that's the case, yes, he absolutely can. But head to head, I think that's a different story. And one of the, you know we had been talking about Victoria Sparks as a potential candidate. Uh, Some people had mentioned uh, the governor, Eric Holcomb, as a potential candidate for the Senate seat, although there are people who would say his State of the Union pretty much did in any chances he has for a Senate nomination uh, in terms of the policy he wants to push in his his final uh, time here as governor. Uh, But, you know, Sparks seems to be talking a lot more about what it's like to be a member of the House of Representatives than to be a good member of the House of Representatives. So perhaps... She has decided that's where she will stay, and if it is, then we're really starting to look at maybe just a two-person race.
0: Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, Jim Banks running for the U.S.A., we also hear that Marlon Stutzman may be running again.
1: Yeah. Um, he,
0: you I don't, you don't sound excited, would... my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people understood he misread the situation at the time. He was He was very popular up here, and I think he thought that automatically translated to popularity around the state. Some would say maybe he confused a compliment for a commitment, you know, as the old political expression goes. Uh, and, you know, he he suffered because of that. If he had stated in in the House, he'd still be a member of the House. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that would be the case. Um, so the question is, what would he run for? And perhaps the answer will be run for his seat in the House again.
0: Our guests on the program once again, Andy Downs, and Mike Downs, Center Independent Politics. Got a few more minutes left on the program today. Uh, anyone change, give us a little bit to go from the uh, US Senate race to the governor's race. We got uh, Suzanne Crouch, uh Eric Doden, Mike Braun, Suzanne Crouch ahead uh in the money raising. What do you where do you see this race going? Although granted, it's still early.
1: It is. You know, we, we were just talking about the Senate race, now we're talking about the governor's race, which means we've blown past the municipal races <laughs> it's like no one's business. But you know, we did we talked a little bit about that. So I I guess I gotta give us a little credit. Uh, I see an unbelievably expensive race happening there. I mean, we're already talking about people who have raised millions of dollars between the top candidates. Uh, that's only going to go up. It's possible somebody may choose to drop out if things continue to uh, not look so good. But when you're bringing in, I mean, let's think about this for a second. If your polling says, you know, 10% of the population knows you, but you're able to raise $3 million. Well, $3 million can buy a lot of name recognition. And so I, part of me wonders if it's going to be possible for people who are able to raise the money to do a complete assessment of their status in the, in the race and ask themselves, am I, you know, should I get out? Am I, am I going to lose this by too much? Um, you know, I don't want to lose something that costs me the opportunity to do things in the future, that sort of a thing. Uh, it, it's, I think we're just looking at an incredibly expensive race. And one that will be interesting to watch in terms of, you know, the three people we talk about most often, and you know, Braun, Crouch, and Doden. Uh, that's an interesting combination of individuals on a debate stage. Uh, I think I think that that would be um, an informative debate in many ways, uh, missing some of the theater that people may watch debates for. But I I think it would be uh, an interesting opportunity for voters to really ask themselves what are they looking for in a gubernatorial candidate and then try to decide which one of these three ticks the most boxes because I doubt that any one of them is going to tick every box for a large number of voters.
0: And we've got about a minute or so left. Any uh, race in particular you're paying attention to, either municipal or, or statewide or for that matter, uh, any particular piece of legislation you're keeping an eye on uh, over in the Indiana General Assembly?
1: Oh, you know, I'm I'm always flummoxed by those sorts of questions because theoretically they're all interesting to me. I will say the school board uh, legislation is interesting. I will say the don't say gay, uh, put that in quotes, please, uh, legislation is interesting. But when it comes to the long session, it's always the budget. And in this year, because there is so much in reserve right now, uh, I'm going to be curious to see how legislators deal with that. They don't want to take on a bunch of operating costs which means we could be looking at a bunch of one-time expenditures. So that could mean a bunch of infrastructure work. It could mean a number of, of uh, improvements to school buildings, those sorts of things. So the budget, I think, still has to be called the number one thing, whether we like to talk about it that way or not.
0: All right. Well, our guest in the program today has been Professor Meredith of the Mike Downs Center for Nanopolitics at Purdue University, Fort Wade, our good buddy, Andy Downs. Andrew, my friend, it's always great to talk to you. And you and I will be chatting again in the near future. I may have some political news for you down the road here.
1: All right. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on.
0: This podcast was
1: produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or
0: taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.